0: Hey friends, Ashton here. Welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. Super excited today to have you guys joining us, and really excited to have a new friend, a mutual friend. A new author, uh, CEO, she is many, many things. Um, But I tell you, I started digging into her new book this weekend. And um, it's called Imperfect Courage. Her name is Jessica Honiger. Uh, I'd kind of known a little bit of her story from my wife and, and some different things that had connected over the years, but um, just super inspired by her worldview, by uh, the way she's led these people that she's been entrusted, the way she's navigated her personal life, her family life, her business life. She is doing good, true, and beautiful things in the world, and so she belongs at the table. And with that being said, Jessica, thanks so much for joining us
1: thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation
0: well i uh, that, that was that probably wasn't the best bio for you i was I was chasing the rabbit a bit, but how do you introduce yourself in your work in the world when you kind of meet someone new <laughs>
1: Well, I usually talk about um, that I'm the founder and the co-CEO of Noonday Collection, which is a socially responsible fashion brand, and we're creating economic opportunity for people that live in vulnerable communities around the world, and then we're also creating economic opportunity for women entrepreneurs here in America that we call our ambassadors, And I'm now adding author, which is really weird (laughs) because that did not used to be how I would intro myself and podcaster, So I have a podcast called Going Scared um, that really covers courage, entrepreneurship and social impact. And then, yeah, I just launched my book called Imperfect Courage, which is really encouraging people to live a life of purpose from leaving comfort and going scared, which is how I really define courage is is going scared, which is so much of my own story of the last eight years. Um, so I'm I'm really excited about everything that we have going on. And it really is to elevate the brand of Noonday Collection, which I think the more awareness we have, the more good we'll be able to do in the world, which is, is truly our passion.
0: Yeah. So for, for those people that maybe are familiar with Noonday or they're not familiar with it, how, how did this begin? Why did this, how, how did this company come into existence to do this good work in the world?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the true story is it started as a fundraiser. My husband and I had two little kids and wanted to adopt to grow our family. And we knew that that would cost money. And we thought we had the money. And we did have the money until the recession hit and we were working in real estate and we had been flipping houses and then we've kind of pivoted to become realtors, but we didn't have a pipeline at all. And so that little nest egg that we had that we thought could fund our interoption adoption was soon funding at dinner. And before you knew it, we were actually putting groceries on the credit card, which is not something I'm happy to say. <laughs> um, but we knew that we needed to do something, and I, I wanted to start some sort of side hustle in order to fund this adoption. We had already started down that road to get our little guy from Rwanda. And I wasn't going to give up just because of a financial obstacle. And so previous to deciding to adopt, we had been in Uganda visiting some friends and our friends in Uganda were there to create entrepreneurial opportunity for Ugandans. And one of those businesses was this artisan business. So they had employed these artisans and they'd gotten all this beautiful stuff made, but they had not created the marketplace for those goods in America. So it was just sitting in storage. And they had said to me when I had visited them previous, they had said, Jessica, we have all this beautiful stuff. Like, why don't you sell it and help out our friends? And I completely blew them off. I was like, oh my gosh, I am not about to start something else. I'm doing real estate. You know, we're going to start pursuing adoption. Well, desperate times call for desperate measures and suddenly when I felt cornered courage, I realized I needed to do something. And I thought maybe that's what I could do is reach back out to them, see if they had those African goods and see if anyone would want to purchase them. And so I did just that. And lo and behold, women really wanted to purchase these items. They, I, I opened up my home one night and merchandised it. And Women came, and women really wanted to use their purchasing power for good. They wanted to rally around this young couple, Jalia and Daniel. And then they also wanted to help our adoption journey. And quickly after that night, I realized, you know, maybe this isn't just a fundraiser. Maybe this could actually be a business. And I reached out to my friends in Uganda and I told them about the success of the one-time event and they said, well, why don't you order more? Why don't we connect you with Jolly and Daniel and see if you can actually turn this into a business? And so... I connected with Jolly and Daniel, and before I even had product arrive from Africa, I had already asked a lot more other women, (laughs) hey, can you open your home for me? And um, I began to find other artisans I could partner with and other wholesale companies that were um, doing fair trade accessories. And within a few months, it was a full-fledged business. I started having other women reach out to me and ask if they could um, now partner with me and starting their own noonday collection businesses. And once that happened, mm-hmm. I think things got real because suddenly now I have women who are really counting on me to deliver. Yep. you know yep. Yep.
0: <laughs> yep and that's and that however many years ago, now how many I mean, every community in America, I mean, you've got ambassadors. how How has this thing spread?
1: not every community yet <laughs> that is that's why it feels I'm like the it is <laughs> every state we are in every state there you go. and we have around 2000 current active ambassadors we've had several thousand over the years come and go. And we partner now with 4,500 artisans. So it started with just that one couple, Julia and Daniel, but they now have a hundred full-time employees. And then we partner with 30 other businesses, similar to theirs in vulnerable countries around the world. So it definitely grew far beyond that one night, one-time fundraiser. And I look back and I think there were so (laughs) many times I wanted to cancel because (laughs) I was so afraid of rejection. I was afraid of feeling all the discomfort that comes when you put yourself out there, Mm -hmm. I was afraid how it was going to be perceived. I mean, I was selling African goods plus like anything that that could be sold in my house. I was like, (laughs) take it, you know? So it was, I I was concerned about how it was going to be perceived. I was concerned no one was going to come. I thought this was just, you know, a silly idea. And I really did want to cancel Mm -hmm. so many times. And I'm so glad I didn't because that one night, Catalyzed my own courage, and has since catalyzed courage all over the world.
0: So, the the book that's just released, like I said, "Imperfect Courage," just came out, um, and it's it's kind of your story. It's kind of the noonday story it's also kind of this reflection on just all of our stories, right, of um, doing our good and necessary work in the world and the courage Mm. that that takes. Mm. Um, Why, of all the books you could write, um, why Imperfect Courage?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that it's, Really ironic that I am writing a book that has courage on the front cover because (laughs) I remember when Brene Brown started talking about courage, which is crazy because Brene Brown actually endorsed my book and has been a huge uh, cheerleader of what um, I'm doing in the world. But when she first started writing about courage, I kind of eye rolled a little bit Mm. and I thought, oh, courage? I mean, courage is for that's reserved for Martin Luther King. And that's reserved for the firefighters of 9-11. And that's reserved for Rosa Parks. Like, let's not use the word courage Mm -hmm. in conjunction with the everyday person. I really did think that. But then as I began to really live into my purpose and step into this story, I looked back and thought, I was really afraid. I was afraid of that first trunk show. I was afraid about what other people think. I was afraid that I was going to fail. And yet I just went anyway. Well, Mm -hmm. certainly that was courage. And I began to realize that courage is something that we can practice every single day. And courage is simply acknowledging that we have fear, but instead of letting that paralyze us, we instead walk through that fear. And I think the more we walk through our fears, the more courageous our courage legs get. Hmm. They get stronger. And we start seeing, wow, on the other side of my fears is my impact, is my purpose. And that takes courage. It takes courage to acknowledge your fears, but give them the stare down and say, you know what? you are not going to make me sit. I'm going to make you sit. Because I think that is what fear can do. Fear can put us in this sitting position where we feel paralyzed, unable to actually move. But really the journey to get our fear into the backseat instead of the driver's seat is simply to stand up. I think when you just stand And do that one little tiny thing that you thought, oh my gosh, there's no way I could do that, but you start stepping through that, that's when you kind of, when fear doesn't get to be in control. It doesn't get to cause you to be seated. Instead, you can cause it to stay seated. And that's definitely been my journey as an entrepreneur, as um, growing our our family in a non-traditional way. Um, and continuing to step out as an author. I mean, these are all yeah. different ways that I'm continuing to strengthen my courage legs and hopefully catalyze other people to do the same thing.
0: Yeah. Well, two of my favorite voices when it comes to fear, one of them is Seth Godin, um, and he always writes that like we should learn to dance with fear, and I think yes. that can be connected with what you're, what you're saying of walking through it. Yes. Um, and then Elizabeth Gilbert, she always says, she, she talks to fear and, and says, well, thank you for showing your face again. Yes! Uh, you know, like just, hey, thank, listen, you've kept me out of the street. You've, you've told me not to walk across I-35. Um, you've uh, taught me not to uh, pet a dog. I don't know. You know, all of these right. things that fear right. does. However, uh, I'm really just trying to do some good in the world here. Yes. And if you'll kind of go into the back seat for a little bit, yeah. um, that will really... Uh, help us. There's a place for fear. And it's that both and either or conversation, right? Yes. I
1: remember that. I loved her book, Big Magic for that reason, because I think that it's perfectionistic thinking to say we should never be scared in life or to think that we need to completely eliminate fear before we actually move forward. And that is just paralysis. Yep, yep. So I think when we can actually welcome fear at our table, but just say you don't get to like be sitting at the head of the table with opening the bottle of champagne, like <laughs> you're here, I acknowledge you, but you are not the boss, yep, you know? Yep. And to me, that really is, unfortunately, I wish I, I say, unfortunately, cause I'm like, I obviously wrote a book on fear because I struggle <laughs> with fear, you know, like we teach what we need to learn. <laughs> That's right. Um, but then again, I think all of us interact with fear at some level. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just might do it a little bit more typically than the average person.
0: Yeah, multiple times a day. It's a, it's a lesson we learn over and over. It is. Um, in the book you wrote, you, you, you were kind of talking about the hero's journey. And um, it's probably something that wouldn't catch a lot of people. But it did, it did me in, in the sense that you wrote that the hero's journey is an invitation um hold my hand on this idea that you were getting at because a lot of times hero's journeys kind of been this popular idea coupled with story from a million miles in a thousand years of Donald Miller's mm-hmm. writings but to think of the hero's journey as an invitation um to me that paints it in this this beautiful new context to where uh it's packed and loaded with possibility, with meaning, with opportunity, rather than this thing of like, well, that's gonna be scary. Uh, Rather, our own hero's journey is this great and glorious invitation. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I think it really does for me You know, instead of putting these quote unquote heroes on these pedestals thinking, gosh, in order to really matter in this world, because I've I've always had a stream of social justice running in my heart since middle school, I was I had sort of my big wake up really, really young and. I think whenever anyone has that wake up, you automatically become a little bit extreme, yeah. possibly judgmental. <laughs> so I was like the judgmental girl in high school that was like, "What? You're gonna get a Dooney Burke for your birthday? You're not gonna <laughs> go like sponsor a kid in Africa?" So I kind of went through this really early, and I think that you know when we have this this wake up call to. I matter in this world and I want to use my mattering in order to make Mm -hmm. an impact, I think we automatically have these very visible ideas of our heroes of what that looks like. And then we can disqualify ourselves because we think, well, I'm not, I'll never be as courageous as Martin Luther King or Abraham Lincoln is another huge hero of mine. Um, but when you peel all of that back, in fact, I was just reading in Just Mercy, Brian Steven, wait, was it his book? Oh gosh, I'm reading like three books right now. Um, I just was reading about Martin Luther King's story um, on when he was asked to really be involved in Selma and he actually recounts it. And he literally says, he was shaking and he didn't feel courageous at all. Like there was nothing in him that was like, yes, I am the man for the job. Instead, it was with fear that he kind of not, he didn't get cajoled, but other people sort of named him as like kind of cornered him. Like in the same way that I was a bit cornered with my financial situation, courage cornered him and he answered the call. And I, I think that we disqualify ourselves when we think that, a hero's journey is only for these huge um, impact makers in the world. And instead, we are all invited into this journey to own our impact and to own our courage and to not disqualify ourselves. But, you know, when we disqualify ourselves and when we stay paralyzed by fear or perfectionism or comparison, we're literally robbing the world. Yep. Yep. Like we're actually taking away from the impact that we're meant to have. And that's a powerful frame for me because I think we we think small when we think, gosh, well, if I play it small, it just affects me, myself, and I. Mm-hmm. But when you realize that you playing it small is actually robbing your neighbor of the gift that you have to give that's in the good. world, yeah. that that is very empowering. That makes me want to just get up and go scared. And ultimately, you know, that's what enabled me to kind of swallow my pride and, um, was, was knowing that we had a little guy in Rwanda, Jack, you know, so there was something, it's something bigger in ourselves, right? Mm It has, it has to be more than, gosh, I want my kids to be able to go to a great college, you know, like we, we really need to understand that we are called to this higher purpose and power and influence in the world. And it's for each one of us.
0: So for, to you, just to kind of paraphrase, I think what you're getting at is the idea of the hero's journey being an invitation. Not only is it an invitation that leads to your liberation, but it also leads to the liberation of the world.
1: I mean, um, absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah. That ought to get you out of bed each day.
1: Yeah, it will. And I know we talk world changer and global influence and impact, but you know, that all starts with just walking outside and seeing Mm -hmm. you've got a neighbor. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that there are these, all of these places that we can practice courage, which is to just go a little bit outside of your comfort zone, go shop at that grocery store where not everyone looks like you, um, go walk across the street and actually know your neighbor's name. Maybe send your kids to that school that you never thought you would send them to. But I think it really is engaging outside of our comfort zone.
0: Yeah, totally. So you, um, you write about t- write about, excuse me, tearing up your should stories, um, and I loved this because I think that uh, the narrative in our heads is sometimes the number one thing that keeps us from that impact that we mm-hmm. we all long for, the uh, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, ultimate satisfaction that we're after. Talk about uh, maybe some of your should stories, some of the should stories mm-hmm. that you've seen um, and how getting through those and tearing right. those up um, gets us into these impact places that we all want to be in the world.
1: Yeah. Well, I think one of my biggest should stories came from growing up in a very traditional home, I, my mom and dad are amazing parents, and they truly did believe in me and instilled a lot of confidence in me. At the same time, my dad was the primary breadwinner, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And not only that, she was just has a little bit more of a quiet personality. She doesn't like conflict, whereas my dad and I would like have it out. And she remembers <laughs> in middle school, we would like be in this huge fight. I would storm out of the room and my mom's stomach would just be a knot and my dad would say "add a girl she can hold her own." <laughs> so I think on one hand I had this example of my dad who is a bit of a fiery personality, yeah. Vietnam vet, entrepreneur, and then I have my mom who followed a very traditional path of graduating from college, moving back to her hometown, literally going through a sort of a debutante season where you're supposed to find your husband, which she did. And then my dad even told her he didn't even want her working as a wife. So I, I mean, <laughs> I think when you grow up with these traditionals, right. no matter how much your parents are going to tell you, do whatever you want in life. Um, there was no model for me to really see that. And yeah. so as I graduated from college, I, I, ended up moving overseas with food for the hungry international and wanted to work among the poor and had learned Spanish. So wanted to be able to use my Spanish and I ended up meeting my husband through that came back to America and I started doing a million different things to kind of find my way. But I think the story through it all was, well, you can't really pursue a career or a purpose because you're going to end up having babies and that'll all have to go on hold because you're ultimately just supposed to be a stay at home mom. And I don't want to say just because I, I mean, I absolutely believe that is a noble role, but I think for me it was a should story. It was a, this is what, this is your story. This is what you should do. This is what, a this is what a dutiful woman does. And so when that became my story, and then I also started Noonday and began to be like this entrepreneur and the CEO and then a growing staff. We have 60 staff members now. I had a hard time reconciling what I thought a should, a good mom should be. And mm. I didn't think – there was no room in my worldview where there you could be a good mom and a good CEO. Yeah. Yeah. I think also in my perspective – I am a curvier woman, and I always thought, well, I couldn't be a CEO of a fashion brand and also be curvy. You know, those things don't go together. I should look differently. And I think when we live into these shoulds, then we're not living into who we really are, and then we're just faking it. We're trying to put forth a version of ourselves that we want others to approve of instead of putting forth the version of who we really are. And so I feel like the first few years of Noonday, even though I was really living into my purpose and it, it was a beautiful story to live out, I would say, as like you said earlier, my inner dialogue was not one of empowerment and you were just flowing and who you were meant to be in the world. I think I spent a lot of energy on feeling shame about things that I never should have felt shame right. about. Yeah. And so it was really when I was able to embrace this idea of paradox, I think if we can't embrace paradox, we're going right. to stay in paralysis. That's good.
0: Yeah. And when
1: I was able to embrace paradox that I can be a really good mom That's right. and a really good CEO, those things are not at the expense of the other. And I can be curvy, and I can own a fashion brand. And I can be a really amazing entrepreneur and not have an MBA. And I could be these ands in this either or world. I think our should stories, I think you should really look inside and think about this narrative. Are you saying I can only be this thing or one thing is coming at the cost of another? I think those are coming from some sort of should story in your life, but when you can really hold out the both and choose the and, that's where I began to walk in a lot of freedom. And Mm -hmm. then I'm able to really spend my energy on forward moving motion and on really even making new day more successful. I mean, I've never could have written this book, you know, if I had not acknowledged my own authentic story because everyone would know, you know.
0: Another big idea in the book is this idea of living awake. Um, which I love. One of my favorite quotes ever is Oliver Wendell Holmes. Most of us, most men and women, go to their graves with their music still in them. Ah! Um, and and so like just this idea of living awake, putting your bringing the, these divine instruments to make music into the world. Um, and and you talk about how connecting these desires and gifts to the need of the world. There's kind of five places. Because I think people may hear this interview and they may go, oh my gosh, I can't start Noonday. Like I can't, I can't right. do something that's that big. Um, and, and yet I know your heart, your heart is, no, like you may just have an elderly neighbor next door that, exactly. that, that literally just needs something. But start there. A little yes there yes. can start breaking open all types of passion, empathy, discovery um, within your heart and soul. Talk about these five points. They're, they're power, pocketbook. Priorities, proximity, and perspective. Because I think this will help our listeners that go, "Yeah, I want some more meaning and poor and purpose in the world, but where where do I find it?"
1: Right. Well, I don't know if we can go into all of them.
0: Just briefly, totally. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to. You don't need to go the whole way.
1: Well, I think, you know, when I think about power, I think that we all are born with the, in the image of God and we all have an incredible amount of power and we can use that power to diminish or we can use that power to multiply power. And I know, especially for me as a CEO, for me to use my power often means to hold back my power mm-hmm. because I can basically walk into any meeting right now. And I can be the ultimate decision, decision maker on, on most decisions here at the company. But I actually now as a, a growing leader and a CEO, I hold back my power and I walk into a creative meeting and maybe I have a different vision. Maybe I think it will look better my way, but I want to use my power to create power for them. And actually, you know, hold back some of the margin that I have in order to, to create spaces of power for other people. So I think that is one way that I, um, that I can view power and that power uh, can be used to multiply power. That's good. And, and then when I think of pocketbook, you know, <laughs> get personal, get real <laughs> personal around the pocketbook. Um, but, you know, truly living generously, which for me is coming at our, finances in particular from a stewardship mindset. So really believing, um, I'm, I'm an instrument here and I am just going to let whatever gifts I've been given, um, flow through me and try not to have an ownership mentality, but a stewardship mentality. And I think that with priorities Um, This is one I can really struggle with, Mm -hmm. Um, but it really is about margin that we have to have lives that have a little bit of margin so that, you know, when you hear about living a more courageous life, you don't say, well, I don't have time, (laughs) you know, but you can have margin in your life in order to have the neighbor over we just joined a supper club and it's, it's a really great group and it's a fun group of people. Um, But I have been convicted since we, we went to the first one and now we're trying to find the next date. You know, what is giving myself to three other couples that I kind of already know, is that really where I am meant to invest my time right now? Mm. Or should I be investing my time in, having a night where we have strangers over for dinner or host the the there's a homeless man that frequents our neighborhood and it, by doing this one fun thing and listen this is because i have a lot of fun going on in my life like there is no <laughs> right. shortage of fun so i'm not saying i'm actually in another supper club too so like, <laughs> you know, so i say like, we're gonna we got a lot of fun going on um but it really came from that idea of of my priorities and margin and then proximity is this idea, Brian Stevenson talks about this in his book, just mercy, but we have to be able to approximate ourselves to suffering in order to have the empathy and the compassion that will ignite us to actually want to do anything about it. And then around perspective is really for me, um, this idea of embracing paradox. And when I don't see the world in this either or, or I don't paint, paint the poor is like, Oh, the poor, like my my friend, you know, that I write about in my book, Norbert, who went through the genocide. I mean, listening to his story and how his family was machete to death and he was hiding in a mango tree nearby. Somehow I want to say, well, he must not feel pain like me because mm. I don't even understand how he's standing on two feet having this conversation. And we, we want to paint the poor into these tidy little boxes um, instead of realizing, no, they are just like me. And the poor, we don't just want to create dignified work and clean water they also want birthday cakes for their kids right. and they want to be able to go on a date with their partner and um so i think it's this idea of being able to embrace paradox in our perspective that um is an is another way that we can leverage our power and live into um using our impact
0: yeah totally if you haven't read parker j palmer the Pro- the promise of paradox um It's fascinating. I haven't uh, read that. Yeah, it will, it will, um, you will, you will hunt the rest of your life and every moment for where is the paradox. Um, it's, it's cracked open so much truth and beauty for me. So I've heard you use paradox a lot and I'm a, I'm like your brother, your paradox brother. I love it. I Um, love it. So cool. (laughs) Um, so, uh, a a business question, what areas of leadership um, have you had to like develop or redevelop over the years as a CEO? Like, what, is, what have you, what is that evolution of mm-hmm. always going back and revisiting? I need to see this in a different way. I need to be this in a different way. Um, right. cause I think, uh, man, the growth that you guys have had, I'm sure that day one looks way different than years, six, seven, and eight.
1: It does. It does. And I would say in this entrepreneurial journey, I think the first few years, it's like scrappy entrepreneur. We're bringing on people that all have kind of that ownership mentality who are ready to just dive in. I wasn't thinking about how am I managing people? How am I developing people? Mm No. No. I was like, we are getting it done. We're growing at a lightning speed pace and we just need to go. And if you can't swim, you're going to sink and Mm bye-bye. And now, Noonday, we're in a scaling phase. We have an amazing executive leadership team and we have the right people in the right places in every level of our organization. And realized a few months ago, I need to move from this entrepreneurship mindset into a leadership mindset, which is a lot more about how am I going to hold back my power so that other people can grow their power. And I would say that's been a really big shift for me. Um, Also, I've operated a lot out of stress at Noonday. Just um, I can be very task oriented and very executionary oriented. I have a bias towards action. And I really went by a few years not valuing the team members. Like I valued the artisans that we worked with Mm -hmm. or valued even the ambassadors that we worked with. So I've gone through a huge transformation in the last six months. I did my first ever 360 feedback, um, where six different stakeholders within the organization were interviewed. And I got to hear how I show up for them. I got to hear the good things, of course, but, you know, the underbelly of my good is also just being quick to um, kind of diminish other people's opinions. It's either my way or the highway, not quick to listen because I'm quick to just like go, go, go. And I would say I've been through a leadership transformation in the last few months of really learning how to slow down how to create a space for listening how to limit my own power so that other people can exercise their power hmm. and you know continue to own my story and you know some of it it's it's challenging i mean i'm on one hand i'm walking in this whole new level of being me in the world with this book and this book launch and going on tour and i have this podcast and in so many ways i'm living into me, which is really being the brand advocate out in the world, building the brand, being the brand advocate, but that's had to involve. I mean, that has involved letting go of some things no. back at the home office that no. I'm used to being really involved in, no. and learning to trust, and also not diminishing my role that I'm out sort of here in the world, and then I'm not looking at the spreadsheets every day. Right. Um, and it's, it's, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting process.
0: Beautiful. Well, Hey, transformation. It's what we all want. We just have to live awake, right? Cause it's not a one-time event. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not one time. Uh-huh. It, could, it could be daily. if yes. would Let it be.
0: That's right. That's right. What, um, uh, you, you mentioned a little bit in the book about kind of stillness and meditation. Have you cultivated any spiritual practices and disciplines, um, as you I mean, all of these hats mom, entrepreneur, CEO, leader, um, thought leader, podcaster, author. Um, I, I think that um, for me personally, kind of relearning some of this ancient wisdom, ancient, ancient practices, and traditions has been super beneficial um, over these last few years. And I wanted to hear from you um, is there anything that you've kind of discovered or rediscovered to daily? interact with to maintain sustainability, peace, rest, Mm -hmm. and all of this Mm -hmm. in the midst of what you're doing.
1: Yes, absolutely. For me, meditation is essential to my daily rhythm. And when I forego that, which sometimes when I start traveling a lot, I'm cause I have such a sense of physical space. Like there's this one place I can sit in my room and I sit there and God's there (laughs) because like I've been meeting him there for years But when I'm in like a Marriott hotel in some new town, I'm like, are you here? Are you here, God? I don't know. Um, So really the sense of meditation and practicing presence is a huge discipline for me that requires a lot of discipline. So practicing presence, practicing gratitude. And then Sabbath is something that I think is really essential to our own spiritual growth it really is a day for me where I can say, I'm not God, you know, like I'm not ultimately on the throne of my life or on all these things that I'm doing. I'm, I'm gonna let God work for me today, which sounds so audacious, (laughs) but that really is kind of God's heart. Like he's the one who gives us rest. And, you know, I want to take that and I do believe that that is essential to my own spiritual growth. Um, again, you're catching me at a time where I've been kind of hair on fire book launch mode, but I will say kind of for three weeks, I've been in, I was in book launch mode and I kind of gave myself permission to just be crazy and go for it and ignore some of those rhythms. And it did, it didn't go well for me. <laughs> <laughs> that did not work. I don't advise it. Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> I don't advise oh, I
1: it. So I I'm, I'm in a week of, I'm fully, I'm in Austin for a whole week before I start traveling again. And I'm going back to all of those things I know to do.
0: There you go. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's keeping you curious these days? Is it podcast, writing, travel, the book? Um, mm-hmm. What's, you know, kind of that thing that's keeping you curious?
1: yeah my podcast for sure keeps me curious because I am interviewing people. I, I, to me, it's been a very selfish endeavor, <laughs> because right? I write, I'm basically getting to have these conversations that I would want to have anyway <laughs> yes. for the people to listen to. And I always walk away so challenged by any of the podcast guests that I have had on. And recently I did pick up I am um, one of my mentors his name is dr. Kurt Thompson and if you have not read his work I can tell already that you would love his work love it so the soul of shame and the anatomy of the soul he's actually gonna be a guest on my podcast in September sometime so you wow. you can tune in and listen and he's written two books that are really accompany me I've kind of read them over and over again. And the anatomy of the soul in particular is really around neuro neurobiology and mm-hmm. spiritual formation. Yeah. So he asks these questions like you're asking, what are some of these rhythms and these ancient practices, but he really connects it to the science behind it. Yeah. And, um, So, of course, I read a chapter and I'm like, okay, Jessica, you're actually supposed to go do this. Like reading (laughs) this chapter (laughs) does not count as meditation. Like now you need to go meditate. But one of the things he talks about three activities that can help contribute to our formation. But I remember one of them and one of them is meditation, physical exercise. And then the last one is novel activities. Mm. And so that's something I've been thinking about lately just kind of those outside of my comfort zone um we took the family to iFly last month and which is like a indoor skydiving um activity and I just think doing these little things even now I'm traveling to these different cities for my book tour and I'm like you know what why don't I just get a later flight and I can meander like meandering city blocks in a place that I'm not familiar with totally. you know like what are these things that I can do that do lend myself towards positioning myself towards curiosity and learning? Yep, yep. And you have to be intentional about that, especially in the middle of crazy.
0: You absolutely do. Yeah, you have to cultivate those spaces for, for play and wonder and awe. I think uh, Tony Robbins often talks about like diversity being one of the most key things of, of highly productive, successful people is that they, they embrace new experiences, if you will, mm. um, that, that almost this feeling of I've never been here before Yeah, that, that like that in itself becomes this like random addiction. And, it does. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. And it's like, I, I don't know. I need something. I need something that's a little bit different. Um, yeah. but it allows yeah. you, you know, you always see something different. You always learn something new, um and uh Yeah,
1: I, I've never been to Minneapolis before, which is where one of my cool books place. Stops
0: cool place. I just
1: had an incredible time yeah. being there. Yeah.
0: Prince and Purple Rain was written there. It's got to be awesome. Um <laughs> 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 uh, well, beautiful. This I I really have enjoyed this and um I appreciate your time and generosity. Maybe we can get you on again sometime. 2.0 with hey, Holliger. I'll
1: do it. We could um, even do it in person. Yeah, we're
0: too close. We're way we too, close. too close. We are
1: too
0: close. We could totally do that. The book tour is happening. Where all are you going in these next few weeks?
1: I'm going to Grand Rapids, Washington, D.C., Colorado, and Waco Texas. Waco, we'll America. Our...
0: Let's go. Waco,
1: America. That's right. That's right.
0: Well, for those of our listeners that kind of want to follow you and your work in the world, where would you send them? Noonday, Jessicahoniger.com, all of the above. Where's the best spot?
1: My, I personally hang out on Instagram a lot. Okay. So that's right JessicaHoneger, two Gs, one N. My website has all things book as well as my podcast and my book tour dates. And then if you're interested in opening your home to host a Noonday Collection trunk show to sell this jewelry that I've been talking about or to actually start your own business as a Noonday Collection ambassador, then head on over to noondaycollection.com and we will guide you through that entire journey.
0: Right on. Well, on behalf of all of us, Jessica, thank you for your good and necessary work in the world. Stay curious Keep going, and uh, we look forward to having you on again. Hey, before you go, don't forget to hit subscribe right there on your phone. That's probably where you're listening. Uh, And if you enjoyed this, would you mind leaving us a review? One of the things that we're wanting to do is get this information out to as many people as we can, and we are finding that uh, when people leave good, true, and beautiful reviews, uh, that helps us get this information out more and more to people all across the world. I do not take it lightly. Uh, that you invite me to ride shotgun with you in your car. Uh, You allow these conversations to be a part of your jogs. You allow these conversations to be a part of the communities and families and businesses that you've been entrusted. Uh, I do not take that lightly at all. And I am thrilled uh, that you have joined us here at this table, at this conversation. There's always a seat left. There's always room for more. Uh, and we are just so grateful for you guys joining us here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love.